Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. And we have a confession. Actually, Ryan, how are you doing before I do my confession? I'm all right now. You've got everything plugged in and working. <laughs> okay, so sorry, was... get... sorry, sorry, we're late, everyone. Dad had to set up his iPad. Yeah, such an uncle. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching those old dudes do those sound clashes on Instagram Live and like not be able to fix the sound. Like Rizza, <laughs> <laughs> Rizza um, just standing in front of his bookshelf. It's like, where's oh, this music yeah. coming from? <laughs> yeah, that's big. I have big Rizza, big Rizza energy. But yeah, <laughs> my other confession, uh, our joint confession, is that we were meant to do the what if today. But we didn't because there was so much football to round up. So we'll be giving you a what if episode tomorrow and today we'll be rounding up all the great football around the leagues. Yeah, we realised when we went through what we were going to talk about quickly before we were like, oh shit, actually this is going to be so long. So instead of doing one two and a half hour podcast or whatever, we thought we'd do the football, like round up the football today. So we've got La Liga, Serie A quickly, the NWSL, bit of Premier League, Uh, we're we're going to talk a bit about Barcelona, I think. We have to, yeah. Um, and um, and then we'll record, once we're done with all of that, we'll have a quick break and then we'll go and record our What If episode because there were some really good ones. So we want to do a proper, proper long What If and we'll upload that Friday. So two for the price of one, maybe? Absolutely. But it's the final few days to vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. Don't vote. Britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Search for Stadio for the Listener's Choice Awards. Tell your friends. Tell your not friends. <laughs> Tell anyone you know with an email address, please go and vote for us. That would be really, really appreciated. Um, also, more admin. Don't forget, we stuck our theme music on sale. Stadio.bandcamp.com three euros minimum, but pay what you like if you can. We're donating all the money. The info is all there. And any other admin? No, that's it, I think, for now. That's good for Stadio me. Spotify playlist. Yeah, the outro's always there. I think they've got... Yeah, yeah. the outro's, all the tunes that we play out on. Got a big one to play out on today. It's a beauty. But we'll save it. <laughs> we'll save it. And so, yeah, on to today's show. So we're going to do La Liga first, pivotal week in the title race for La Liga. Yeah, big, big. We're going to do NWSL Challenge Cup because since we last, since we were last on air, we've had probably the best game of the tournament so far and yeah. the two worst games of the tournament so far. <laughs> um, we're going to do Premier League super quick. Touch on Serie A. Before we do move on, obviously, depending on where you're listening in the world, the situation may be very, very different. You know, we're almost back to normal in Germany. Yeah. We hope everyone's staying safe and well, wherever you are. Hoping that we can at least kill a little bit of your day. Can I say something I've noticed though, before we get into the football? It's interesting. I come up with my hot takes on Twitter, just minding my own business as a private citizen. And then people always grasp on me to you. Have you noticed I know. That? I'll say yeah. something and be like, ah, oh, so Christine was like, ah, oh, I've got to get Ryan. I'm like, hang on a minute. How is someone... <laughs> shout to Christine, Christine Cooper. She just said... I'm going to give Ryan a shout just to get him to check in on you. I was just like, leave me the fuck out of this. It's like calling the playground monitor. It's like, oh, no, oh, I'm missing a hot take. Listen, do you know what? Can I say this? My tweets are my tweets and I can't be stopped. No one's got my passport. And I said it before, I'm never quitting that app. I'm never. Yeah, you know how like Pat- Patrice Ever always is just like, I love this game. Yeah. Like Musa is just like, I love this app. Yeah. You know? <laughs> See, if you want the wildest hot takes, if you think these takes are wild, You'll find wild ones on my Twitter, which Ryan doesn't I'm, even 
Ryan doesn't, they don't get shared on the Stadio Twitter because they're too extreme. And I muted you. That's, that's true, actually. Why. That's true. No, no, I'd never mute you. I couldn't mute you. I can't mute you. Can't mute you. Can't mute you, babe. I'm being silly already. Let me, <laughs> let's rescue this podcast. Oh my goodness, it's gone off the deep end. We're going longer. We're going longer. This is wild. Okay. La Liga. This is like one of those Mark Maron intros. La Liga. Like, Come on, Mark, get to the guest. <laughs> I promise we actually talk about football. La Liga, La Liga. We have to yeah, talk about so, Barca Barcelona. Yeah. What a, I thought this was a really good game. Good and weird. Good and weird. And good and weird in good and bad ways. So like, okay, so there were four goals. It was two all, ended two all and probably ended Barcelona. So many penalties. penalties. Right. And actually it felt fitting given the way that these two teams construct plays and build goals, it felt fitting that all four goals came from either penalties or set pieces. That makes sense. Mm. And the game was broken. And the problem with the game being broken is that is how Atleti likes it. It's that whole thing. Yeah, but you saw it against Liverpool, didn't you? Yeah, that famous example of that. Don't fight dirty because that's how the pig likes it. Mm. Um, And Atleti fight for, not, not dirty, but they were efficient and they knew what they wanted to do. And they, when they attacked, actually, this is the thing. For a team that doesn't have much of the ball, when they attack, it's like really beautiful. I think because they maximise what they have. And I, you can't help but think that Griezmann sitting on the bench, who played basically four minutes of the entire match. Griezmann must have been watching this thinking, this system was made for me. Like Atleti mm. now, weirdly enough, Atleti now are optimised for Griezmann. Absolutely optimised for Griezmann, but he's not there. He's in a team that doesn't suit him at all. Yeah, there was a, I mean, we've touched on Barca a little bit, but I think this was the one. This was their third draw in four games yeah. since uh, La Liga returned. And I think that is it. We said it was pretty much it on the last podcast, but this is definitely it now. And I mean, obviously less disappointing to draw at home to Atleti because they're a good side. Although Simeone has still never beaten Barcelona. It's mm. the only side in La Liga he's never beaten. Mm. Every Barcelona game at the moment feels very symbolic. Yeah. It really does feel like the end of how we know Barcelona now. Now that might sound a little bit hyperbolic, but I think it's just true. Sid Lowe wrote an amazing piece on The Guardian that went up this morning, which kind of echoes the stuff that we've been saying about this for a long time. And they're just a mess. It was, it was literally in the title, it's a mess. And it's not necessarily a mess because of the players, because I don't think it's the players' fault. It's a mess at boardroom level and it's a mess in strategy and structure and planning and policy that's been going on since 2015. And I remember on a podcast ages ago when you said the Neymar transfer broke Barca. And I cannot think of a better way to summarise it than that. It's that kickstarted a chain of events that is still going on today that Barca have never recovered from. And they wasted the money. They're three most expensive signings. One of them is at Bayern on loan because they couldn't sell him. I think that was literally what Sid said in the piece. Yeah. Dembele's injured and Griezmann's getting four minutes in a match that they need to win. In the Sociedad game, he got taken off with half an hour to go when they needed a goal. Um, they ended up winning the game, but still, this is something that we actually discussed about. I think we're going to do a podcast on this in the future about big signings who moved, who shouldn't have moved. Yeah. For themselves, not necessarily for their clubs, for themselves, because there's been a real trend of these players over the last few years that have made high profile transfers that have just never kicked on 
at the places that they've gone on to. But Barcelona received the highest transfer fee ever for a player and they wasted it. They went for superstar signings in a marketing sense as opposed to superstar signings in a footballing sense. And they've not recovered. And I think they're in big trouble. This squad as a whole needs a massive overhaul. You said it last week. They just don't have the pieces at the moment. And it's horrifying. It's like they're drunk on power. I look at Barcelona and the directors there and they behave like they're at the Vatican. You know, this is the problem. It's Bartomeu. Bartomeu is, is, is the main culprit here. He is, but I think it, the scary thing is I think it goes deeper than that. I think that, if I'm honest, you look at Barcelona, you look at Vatican. They are institutions that people are always going to revere in our, you know, long after we're gone, people will revere both of them. And the problem those institutions, unless the checks and balances are in place, that power will be abused. And Bartomeu is a culprit, and don't get me wrong, we will hold an individual accountable with criticism. At the same time, I can't help but think, but Barcelona have dealt with these challenges for, you know, they were around before he came on the scene. And the problem is that these organisations, these institutions attract, obviously, and what gets me annoyed, Ryan, is they attract these individuals whose interests are not football at heart. And I don't know, call me naive, I don't know how this keeps happening. Like, because there should be enough people in the world who are both wealthy and actually just love football. And maybe there are. There's, maybe there's there a are. massive crossover with politics, I think. Yeah, yeah. They're career directors. They're not, they're not real, real football people. No, that's true. And it's the same with politicians. Politicians don't really care about implementing genuine change on the whole. You know, if you look at the people who are in power in the US and the people who are in power in the, in the UK as two prime examples. Um, Brazil is another prime example. This is it's populism. It's a career. It's it's not. Um... Oh, you know, it's actually. I would say what I what I would say is, I think the front bench. If I look at the back bench, this yeah. is like voice. Yeah, yeah, in yeah, the UK, yeah, in the UK, the front bench, the front bench is is genuinely the one. I mean, if you see, or generally the one you see it. And I mean, we've gone after him a number of times on this podcast. And this is going off on a bit of a tangent, but you know how Matt Hancock is probably one of the least qualified people to become the health secretary in the UK, and you've seen that with the response to COVID nineteen in the UK. And there's a massive parallel there with people who take over football clubs and who are in charge at football clubs because a lot of the time they wouldn't have been fans. Yeah. You, know, you even look at someone like Raul Senye, who, who went from Arsenal, uh, from Barcelona to Arsenal. He was a Nike director or a really senior person at Nike. Can I be honest with you? I want to just throw this in there. Like, I, not because the Senye thing is not a great example, but Ryan, isn't it weird how they've got contempt for the people who actually give them a living? Absolutely. It's a class thing. This is the, I want to throw It's a complete working, it's a working class thing. There's a bunch of working class footballers. They're looking at them going, what could these people possibly need? What can they tell me? And the, does that make sense? Like the idea of signing a super, a superstar player who doesn't fit, and then you've got to incorporate them. It's just reeking of class. You see it in all top level team sports, I think, is that the conditions that are cultivated by the people at board level and the people at the top level of the game i.e. the increase in spending, the increase in player wages, the people who bear the brunt of that for the criticism are the players themselves. Now, if the conditions weren't put in place for them to earn that amount of money, you know, a a player can't go into... Imagine someone years ago walking in saying, I want 350 grand a week. Right. It takes someone to say yes. Yeah. So if they didn't say yes, then a lot of these people, like... The players, a lot of people criticise players. Players are the first people to get criticised. Athletes are the first people to get criticised across the board when shit goes bad. However, 
they're not the ones in charge. They're not the ones who have allowed these conditions to snowball to a degree where you are paying over 200 million euros for a player or a player is earning 500 grand a week. Yeah. They are the people who are responsible for this mess. It's not Messi. It's not Gerard Piquet. It's not Ivan Rakitic. No. It's not Marc-Andre Stegen. It's not even Arturo Vidal. It's not the ones who are playing not well. No, and it's not Griezmann and it's not Dembele and it's not Coutinho. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not their fault. It's the people higher up and there needs to be a huge change at boardroom level for, at Barcelona. And I think we said this before, there kind of needs to be this Johan Cruyff style coup where someone comes in who's got real, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Barcelona DNA. It's true. It's true. And completely restructure the philosophy at the club again because it isn't more than a club at the moment. And that's the thing that is a real shame for Barca. And yes, as a couple of people have come back to you on Twitter after your comments last week on the podcast about Barcelona, yeah, sure, they'll be top two in La Liga and they may go deep in the Champions League. Yeah, it's bigger than that for Barca. Like, look, put it this way. It's like saying, yeah, but the churches will always have a great attendance every week. Yeah, but it's about, it's bigger than that. Church is about spirituality. It's not about having people, it's not just having people sitting in the pews. It's about the quality of the worship, right? And that's mm. Barcelona. Barcelona's always, if you start judging Barcelona by just what's in the trophy cabinet, that's never been their ethos. It's never been their ethos. Like they've always, and they have been at their best. They have been more than a club. I think they have been. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do Absolutely, think that. yeah. And that's why we, you know, we talk about this passionately because it matters. Like a, a good, healthy Barcelona, it's good for football. Because mm. otherwise, what are we doing it for? What are we doing it for? Yeah. But their policies have exhausted managers as well. They exhausted Pep. Yeah. They exhausted Luis Enrique. Yeah. The level of disrespect that they treated Valverde with. Unbelievable. And they've replaced him with a guy who wasn't their first choice. And Setien knows it. And I feel really sorry for Setien. I was actually chatting with, well, Kev Williams said he was out of his depth. And I, Kev is obviously a go-to guy for Barcelona, but I kind of disagreed a little bit there because I think that finding a manager who wouldn't be out of their depth at Barcelona at the moment would be hard. Because you're too boxed in. You're too yeah. boxed in to really, really add value, I think, as a coach at Barcelona at the moment. And you're seeing that with Setien, I think. I think I think Setien is a good coach. I think the problem with Barcelona is that as much as I love Setien, because we, you know, we really loved his bet his better side. Yeah. But this shouldn't be the way. You shouldn't be sacking Valverde halfway through the season and then replacing him with Setien. You can see how good Setien is, even with this struggle. I always think when you have someone who comes in and gets players who are untainted by the previous regime and do well with them, and look what he's done with Ricky Pooch. Mm. Not, many, not many coaches would have done that. Not many coaches would have brought in Ricky Pooch in the middle of a title race. They would have gone conservative, but he didn't. Look where he's getting out of Arturo Vidal. Vidal's been playing well. I know he conceded a penalty, but that, wasn't, that was a structural failing rather than his own faults. It was because of the ground that was left to cover. And there's, there's other structural issues. But, and let's not forget that actually apart from a kind of dubious penalty, Barca could have beaten Atleti, a very good Atleti team who might well have gone to the Champions League. So these are small margins, but the problem is that in these small margins, Setien doesn't have, he doesn't have the extra 20% he's allowed to be given. And the problem with this, because of the dysfunction at board level, it's allowing them to like, actually, let, the more dysfunction is at board level, the easier is to pass blame onto the players. Now, I think Valverde, actually, there were issues with him but I don't think that was the time to remove him. I think he should have gone, actually, I think he should have gone at the beginning of the summer. Yep. And there should have been some kind of plan, only because I do think those failures in the Champions League were 
terminal. I think they were real problems. And I think that they were beyond recruitment. And I like Valdvedin a lot, but I think that he, those failures were too much. But just the way it was executed at the ball level, the way he was sacked, the way it took, the way the payment went, the compensation, the contempt with which a very decent man was treated. And also, if we look at, let's be honest, if we look at Valverde and we look at what's happened subsequently to Barca and how, how hard they are to coach and how difficult the pieces are to manage, you know, we look at what Valverde did. I mean, it's kind of incredible. Like he went and got Paulinho, realising that people had worked out to play Barca, brought Paulinho in, they won the league. That's an underrated league title, as Sidlow said. And we look now and realize, we realise, and I've said this before, we had three generationally great coaches and Valverde is one of them. He's a generationally great coach who obviously Guardiola wanted as a successor when he left Barca. Guardiola, Enrique and Valverde are three managers whom any club in their history would be grateful to have all three or at least just one of them. And Barca burned through them all. They burned yep. through them all. You look at Klopp at Liverpool, imagine if Valverde was a club that was well managed. Would he be gone now? I'm not sure he would be gone now. A, a guy like Valverde, you have him for six, seven years. You keep a guy like that. That guy's a brilliant coach. You give him more pieces. He's always used what's available. He's always done really well with what's available. And we're now seeing how hard Barca are to coach. And I referred to them. I said the situation was a disaster at board level. And I got criticism for that. But I've got to stand by that. I've got to own it. It is disastrous. It's on the board. Yeah, it's disastrous on the board. 100% it's on the board. So you have like the board, the coaches and the players if they were all pulling in the right direction and they were all on the same page in terms of philosophy, Barca wouldn't give anyone a sniff, I don't think, in La Liga. Oh my goodness, it wouldn't be close. wouldn't be close. No. And they know, they know this. Mm-hmm. Look, for, for Messi to come out on Instagram and criticise, Messi who never talks, Messi has talked more in the last six months to a year than he's talked in the rest of his career put together. And for him to come out and criticise Abadal, who he was close to in that great team that won the treble in 2011, that must have been painful. Yeah. But, but I felt like Abadal gave him no choice because Abadal was like blaming the players and blaming Valverde. And it was like, well, hang on a minute. Like almost that must have felt like a betrayal mm. because Messi must have been like, you were here on the pitch with us and now you've become a company man. Like, shouldn't you be talking to people in your organization? You know, it's not that players get criticized a lot for downing tools, right? For not trying on the pitch. Not being funny, but how many directors down tools at Barca who left in protest? And I'm not saying well, I mean, some of them have literally been put in prison. Yeah, well, well, is that well? So the whole thing, like you know, staying and fighting. Well, can I be honest with you? This is how it feels to me at Barcelona. It's like you've got the world's greatest violinist and the world's greatest orchestra, right? And you're having them at a cheese, having them play at a cheese and wine party. The directors are basically there having a cheese and wine party, and they've got Messi and Ter Stegen and Vidal in the background playing mood music for them while they talk over them. That's what's happening. It's so mm. weird. You see it in the kind of creative industries. You see it like the way that writers are treated. It's like people have contempt. I remember this story. There's a story I'd like to tell, like shout out to the great late, um, the late great Graham Joyce, amazing novelist. Graham once got nominated for a book of the year award. So he was going down to London to collect the, um, well, the, the, the ceremony was on. Graham's publisher didn't invite him to the party. This is Graham's book that was nominated and everyone was going there for Graham and Graham wasn't invited. He had to like get in touch and ask them. That is the level at which they're behaving. That's, this is the level of it. It's the contempt for people on the pitch. And it, it's really, I don't know how we change it, Ryan, because people are so easily swayed. 
people are so easily swayed against players. And maybe I think that's, this is the cynical thing. Just as with like immigrants in the UK, there's a sense that players are getting a free ride. And so the resentment is very easy to activate against players because you're like, it's so easy to dump on someone earning 70k a week. Yeah, but what about the people who sign that off? Listen, I could not agree more. And I will always, if it comes to a situation between directors and players, I will always, pretty much always back players. I mean, the good thing about this game was that Lionel Messi got his 700th career goal with a Penenka. Over Oblak. Over Oblak. This is like... I mean, he wasn't over him because Oblak dived the other way. But so he had been turned to him. against Oblak. I mean, to do a Penenka against Oblak. I mean, that in the game, like this is the thing. This is why, and I say this, I said this a thousand times. It's why I'm so frustrated. They are, they're wasting Messi's prime. He is doing routinely amazing things. Amazing mm. things. Thinking of Messi's penalty and then flashing back, getting nostalgic now. You know, when he was 19 years old, his hat trick against Real. Mm. And like Messi has been, he's been on this for 14 years. He's been producing. Relentless. Genius for 14 years. It's like if D'Angelo never went away. You know, like D'Angelo went away for 15 years and came back with the kind of like the Messiah stuff. Yeah, it's if like D'Angelo was still as cut now as he was in that video. It was just like D'Angelo just going straight, came out the gate like a beast. It's like if Nas basically released Illmatic, he released an Illmatic every two years. Six months. Every six, no, actually, no, no, real. Actually, no, actually, real. Has a musician, here's the thing, has a musician ever been on a run like Messi has been on? I mean, how many, how many classic albums over the span of 14 years is 50-odd hat-tricks worth? It took the entire Wu-Tang to have the creative output of Messi. Does that make sense? Like, if you think about the, it took the combined efforts of Wu-Tang to drop that much genius, I think Messi is basically outcast at this point. I'm just trying to think of like, because the physical exertion it takes to be Leo Messi. But yeah, but also the thing is like with classic hip hop and stuff like that, something changes when you get paid. It's like with music in general, like bands in general, like bands usually record their best work or their most real work first because it's like raw. But yeah, I know you mean. That's not, not, not a rule, but you tend to, how many bands do you, do you find like their early stuff? I'm caught that's such a cliche. I prefer their early work. It's true though, it's true, it's true. It's hard to make a seminal album every season for 14 years. Then again. But I think yes. Messi's, Messi's, you know, when you go back and you yeah. look at the 60s and you're kind of like, whoa, shit, Jimi Hendrix did two albums in like nine months. Mm. It's like that for 14 years. It's wild. I think the only re- way you can maintain it, even with the money coming, is if you've always been about the work. And I think Messi is always about the work. Like, I'd be interested to see, I'd love to see Messi's process, not just how he trains. I'd love to see what he watches. I'd love to see, you know, what videos he watches. If he goes on YouTube and watches like certain players from different leagues. So like, remember that Simon Letty story, I think I've told him here before about how he would go and like, he'd be in the hotel room at like get away games for Cameroon, watching like local third division games on TV. He'd be in like some hotel in like, you know, West Africa watching third division games just to sort of see movement and see and learn stuff. I want to know what Messi's kind of, you know, what his catalogue is, like who he learns from, who he acquires stuff. I'd love to see that because the great artists keep learning. You know, Janelle Monet, you know, David Bowie, you listen to what they're, you see what they're listening to and they're listening to everything, but they're watching everything and reading everything and absorbing everything. I'd love, I'd love to know what he has been taking in because I don't believe it's just, oh, here, Leo, here's the kind of like, here are the tactics this week. I don't, I think he does, I think he reads around, I think he does the kind of extracurricular reading if that comes down to it. Does that make sense? Uh, all I think he does is just 
listen to Sun Ra and watch David Lynch films. Oh my God, that would be so... You're saying he's basically the Rick Rubin of football. He's got like a yak. Can you imagine if like five years after retire, everyone said, someone says to Leo Messi, what made you so great over your whole career? And he said, I just listened to Sun Ra and watched David Lynch films. <laughs> no. <laughs> Knowing Messi, he wouldn't even... He wouldn't even speak. He said, oh, come here. And he'd take her into this kind of cavern. <laughs> it's perfect acoustic cavern. He'd be like, put these on and just put the headphones on. You'd be like, this is me. This is the world I've entered. He's like, what? that one season where you looked like you were on the decline, but then you came back even stronger. And he says, well, basically my wife bought me the uh, Twin Peaks box set and I watched the whole thing with the director's commentary and it just sent me into another dimension. <laughs> oh my God. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I- I, w- I would love to just hang out with Messi and just talk football. Like, I mean, pr- from the back end, not the on training ground stuff. Yeah. Like I want to, act- I'd love to talk about the kind of, cause he's like, he's obviously a family dude. He loves his kids. He loves his wife. He loves his dog. Like, but that sort of the headspace of the elite player, there's so much that we're not seeing. And the, this, this is the thing about being a great footballer. The beauty of it, is that you get to have conversations that no one else in the world has. I remember that time when Greg Poffich was talking about, talking to Tim Duncan and saying how he'd be the ideal dinner party guest and just thinking, you imagine the combined knowledge of people who've got 40 years, you know, combined 40 years of like entertaining the entire planet, millions of people, the things they talk about, the instincts of when to attack, when to defend, like Messi being like, knowing when to look for certain players. Like when Ricky Pooch, you see Ricky Pooch coming close and Messi's play moves like really intense, like almost like mixed, watching like, watch, like watching Messi and Ricky Pooch playing together with uh, Busquets. There were some beautiful interactions in the Atleti game. Watching them play at close quarters, almost like Messi going, here you go, take that, take that. Then I'll move here, take that, take that. And Messi building trust in game time because you can't do that on a training pitch. Watching Messi in real time, working out just how great his teammates are. And I'd love to talk to him about how good did you know Ricky Pooch was? When did you know he was the guy to give the ball to on the edge of the Atleti box? When did you know that Iniesta was the guy to have close to in big games? When did you know Busquets was the truth? I'd love to talk to him about that. Like, Cool, man. Well, you do that. And uh, meanwhile, me and Leo will get ordering a pizza and watch Mulholland Drive. <laughs> do rewatchables. <laughs> By the end of it, Messi would have a podcast. I tried to log in one day to be like, and yeah, this is Stadio Podcast Ringer FC. It's Ryan Hunt and how are you, Leo? Yeah, I'm good. Just, you know, oh God. Uh, Right, we need to move on. We do. Sorry. Sorry, Barca. We've got to move on. It could get a bit worse for Barca because they've got Villarreal at the weekend who are on an absolute tear. Gerard Moreno. Uh, Whoa. Two for Gerard Moreno. They beat Betis 2-0. Can I say this as well? What's really, really sad at the moment it seems like every week in our league, we see a Jared Moreno scorcher and a Mark Bartra howler. Yeah, Mark Bartra struggled against Carlos Baca, gave away the penalty. Um, Nabil Fakir got sent off on the stroke of half time, which kind of did it for Betis. Yeah. Elsewhere in La Liga, quick. Sevilla beat Leganes 3-0 away and Celta Vigo displaying strong catfish tendencies. <laughs> losing 5-1 to Mallorca. <laughs> I think that Barca result, they thought maybe they were on the beach a little bit. Do catfish go on the beach? I don't know. Wherever catfish go. Probably. probably. <laughs> Sociedad lost to Getafe 2-1 and Sociedad have not won since the return of La Liga. Since we started hyping them. <laughs> they drew their first game and they've lost three on the bounce. Four on the bounce. Sorry now. 
um, to Alaves, Real Madrid, Celta Vigo and Getafe. And they drew with Osasuna. So their early season form has gone, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. Another plug for my leftist liberal podcast agenda. <laughs> Britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Go, go vote, vote. Stadio, please. Go vote. Let's quickly go to Serie A. We're recording this ahead of Atalanta Napoli, which yep. is probably going to be the game of the week. Inter smash Brescia 6-0. That Lukaku shot, which ended up in Christian Eriksen's kind of scuffed goal. Both of them looked really angry about that. Is there, is there trouble in the Stockton Malone camp already? No, no, no. I think I can explain it. I can explain it. I think because first it was, it was Eriksen's first goal for Inter and Serie A. And I think he would have wanted to score a nicer one. Mm. And my favourite moment of uh, Inter's 6-1 over Brescia wasn't actually a goal. It was Lukaku's face when he was on the bench, like a child wanting to enter the playground. And he was like, please. <laughs> Put me in, coach. Put yeah, me he in. Was desperate to come on the pitch. Like, everyone was having so much fun. He was like, Young is scoring, Sanchez is scoring, let me on the party. And he came on and didn't score. What do you reckon he calls Conte? Do you reckon he calls him Tony? I think they got on really well. I think that, you know, there was a thing where, um, I remember hearing about Capello. When Capello was traveling to away games, he would go to museums with Olivier Dacor they would just hang out because they just got Aww. on randomly. And I feel like Conte and Lukaku get on that well. You're saying uh, Olivier Decor was a teacher's pet? No, I think, I think, yeah, actually, yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah, no, yeah, I, think, why not? Yeah. I think that every manager has got like a kind of teacher's pet or someone they really just really like. Well, it's a bit unfair. Someone they really like. And I think that Conte and Lukaku just, like just really get on. I don't know if they've like yeah. got a similar taste like classic bikes. I don't know what, I don't know what their thing is they've got in common, but you know, like you could imagine, you could imagine like Chavi and Villanova picking mushrooms together. Magic mushrooms? Or? Yeah, you know, you know like, like Chavi used to love mushroom picking. Yeah, I reckon Tito Villanova and Chavi would just love picking mushrooms in their dungarees and their wellies. Out in the Where, sort of, what are you, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I just think that every- Sounds like someone's been taking mushrooms. <laughs> it is Berlin, Ryan, so you know. Made a little mushroom tea before the podcast. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Why is everything green? <laughs> Do you hear that? Do you hear that, Musa? Do you hear that? Oh my God, the walls have turned to wax. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, this game had big post-Man United joy energy about it. Ashley Young scoring, Alexis Sanchez being involved in three goals for the first time since Arsenal West Ham in 2016. My God. Desperately trying to secure a permanent move to Inter by the looks of it because he's supposed to be going back to Man United next week, I believe. Oh goodness, he's not looking forward to that. So Lukaku and Ashley Young trying to be like, look, look Alexis, what you could have. Come and chill here. Got that beautiful zigzaggy kit next season. Can I be honest with you about that kit? Oh, here we go. When I see football clubs have cool kits, I'm like, oh, that's a cool kit. And I also think this club is not serious about winning things. Stop it. No, it's how I feel. It's how I feel. So when I, when I saw like the Nigeria surf, the World Cup, I was like, I love that. I was like, oh, I love it. I was like, you people are not going there to win. Like, you need, you need to hey, go. Yeah, this is my thing. Look good, play good. Yeah, but there's good and there's... Great. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think there's... I just think there's... I saw, the, I saw the kit and I was like, yeah. I don't know if I've seen a team with a really funky kit. Like, a really good team with a really funky kit, like, win something. I can't remember that time. Um, what about Arsenal's banana kit? 
that's when they got knocked out of the cup by Wrexham, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I just think sometimes, like, when you get a kit that's like, are you talking like a wavy kit? Yeah, not just a good. Yeah, kit. Yeah, exactly. A wavy a one. Bit wild. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It creates bad energies. It creates bad energies. Yeah. Well, you can't have everything. Elsewhere in Serie A, Sassuolo beat Fiorentina three-one, which was a good result for Sassuolo. Uh, and Samp beat Lecce two-one. It was a massive result for Samp. They really needed that. I'm happy for Claudio because it means that down the bottom now, they've pulled away a little bit. They've opened up a four-point gap over Lecce. I am very, very hyped about Atalanta-Napoli. Well, it could be a shootout and it should be a shootout. I think they're going to be goals. Yeah. I mean, Napoli are, they've won their last five straight. So have Juve, who won again, three beautiful goals in the Juve game. Can I be honest with you as well? That's a scary um, proposition for Barcelona. You know, if we consider that Barca have got worse since they played that first leg, and Napoli have improved. Yeah. And yeah. In, even in the first leg, Napoli's strengths matched perfectly with Barca's weaknesses. Mm. That's not a nice tie. That never was a nice tie, but it's even more unpleasant now. Uh, anyway, let's move on to some more football. So I want to talk about the NWSL because there was a bit of a wake-up call for Washington Spirit. Mm, there was. The courage. But the courage are... They're the truth. The, the team to beat? They are. They are very much. Which we... You could have anticipated that given just what they've won in, in, in recent years. Um, but it's the movement of their forward line. That is the thing. Their forward line is so bewildering and so good. They've basically got you know, Dabinia and Lynn Williams basically play. Dabinia's nominally a 10 and Lynn Williams is nominally a nine, but they basically cover the ground. I mean, I was looking, Dabinia created chances from both flanks in the previous game, did it again here isolated herself top of the box and hit a top right curler and then like cut to like the left side. Like they're just, that front two are so good. You could almost just bank, you could almost just play as a counter-attacking team. Do you know what they remind me of a little bit as a forward line? Mm. And I know they're more of a two, but they remind me a little bit of Eintracht 2018-19. Oh, I like that a lot. That's a really good In terms of their dynamic? Yeah, yeah. That's a really good shout. Dabini actually hit that one in the first half, which hit the post. Yeah, yeah from like 25, 30 yards out, 25 yards out in the corner of the box, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When I was watching it this morning, I was convinced that was in. Those two players, it's just the, the, the different positions they take up and even the, you know, even the different goals they scored, like one was, I mean, she wrote, um, Lynn Williams wrote the challenge in the, in the first half mm. and cut inside and you were just thinking, they are... They are the team to be in. The, the spirit, actually, you know, Lavelle was, again, it's funny, like she got a lot of, there was a lot of love. I was up early this morning, actually, because I caught some, and it was just such an audacious, imaginative player. But again, a sign of what can happen when, we said this before in relation to certain sports where you let, in, it's like in basketball, if you just, it's not about stopping someone, it's about controlling them. Yeah. It's about if they're the only player that can hurt you, you're in with a chance. And I think that what the courage did so well was they're like, she's the one that's going to hurt us and periodically she'll come at us, but we've just got the tools to dismantle them. Um, so yeah, the courage are looking devastating, frankly. Yeah, they are. Um, but the two games before that were both nil nils and not great games, to be no. honest, but it's going to happen, yeah, especially of because of all teams fighting off various levels of rust. This is the thing. The weird thing was, and watching the game that was maybe the game, one of the games of the week, um, We'll get onto that in a second, the, the other tie between Houston and Utah. I think that games like this, good games actually spoil us. Yeah. 
they make us forget all the disadvantages that the players are playing under. Like we shouldn't, we should oh, not be absolutely. Seeing, yeah. We shouldn't be seeing football of this quality at this stage. I was watching some of these games going, how are they managing to channel this level of intensity without the circumstances, the conditions that would normally help them perform to an optimal level? That has really- I mean, yeah, I mean, we said that in Europe when football started returning in the first couple of weeks, the Bundesliga teams were a little bit rusty and then mm. they came back and the same in the Frauen as well. Yeah. But I think especially in the US, which has been hit so hard and still continues to get over 40 odd thousand cases a day. The fact that, I mean, I'm, there's an argument, well, there's not yeah. an argument, there's a discussion to be made whether sports should have been returning at all in the US. I agree but with The that. fact that they have been, I think the players deserve a huge amount of credit in an extremely difficult situation. The split of the games in terms of timing to kind of get around the heat is tricky. Mm. Also, playing on an artificial pitch at the height of summer is really hard work. Brutal. There are going to be the odd games that aren't amazing, but I think that's understandable. I mean, how many times do we see, we see this in any World Cup tournament? Men or women, there are games in the middle of the summer that are just hard to play. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the best game in the tournament so far, I think, Houston Dash, Utah Royals, three or draw. Right. This was such an interesting game. Diana Matteson took the lead for Utah just after half hour. And Rachel Daly, who was player of the match, I believe, she equalised just in stoppage time at the end of, of the first half, scored again straight after the break. And then Shea Groom put the dash 3-1 up and you kind of thought that was it. It was kind of done. They didn't look, I didn't think they looked in that much trouble. Yeah, but that 3-1, it's the old joke about like 2-0. 2 goal lead. 2 goal lead, man. It's most it. dangerous scoreline. It is dangerous because there's a relaxation and the chance creation maybe dried up for them a little. Yeah, but then that, that free kick changed the dynamic because I think that was a really disappointing goal to concede for Houston. It was on, it was like, who was it? There was one in the Premier League a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about. Was it Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick where they lined up the, the small side of the wall yes. furthest away? Yeah. And, and, this, and actually there was great, one from Griezmann last week as well where Griezmann turned his back. I thought the wall did, could have done a bit better. Yeah. Here. But then... There's an amazing moment, last minute of the game, well, last minute of normal time. Ciara King equalised on her yeah. debut. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so absolute scenes, because I don't think, I don't think they would have fancied getting a point out of that or like anticipate getting a point. Not at that point. And what I want to say as well, like shout out to Rachel Daly, because slightly maybe unlucky to be in such a great generation of England forwards. I think slightly. Oh, unlucky. for real. She was superb in this game and has been, you know, really strong and, you know, went out to the US fairly early and made her career there. It was at college there, I think, as well. And just really showed what an amazing asset she is. And I'm looking forward to seeing her get a run of games in the years to come for England. I think that mm. she's a huge, huge asset. And it's funny because, uh, weirdly enough, Beth England, her and Beth England have quite similar styles and hopefully complementary styles. Like mm. They can finish close in and far out. The movement is superb. Touch is great. Really lead the line as conventional nines. I mean, I think Beth England's got slightly more range just because Beth England is Beth England. I mean, Beth England can kind of hurt you from 30 yards, but fundamentally two very, very strong forwards. And I wonder, not saying she's not happy where she is, but I just wonder if this puts her in the shop window a little more. Mm. Um, and you know, there's been a few players, and we've said this before, like, and the money's obviously good in the US, but I just wonder if Europe is going to be attractive to some of these players as well, or European teams will be looking favourably at some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're really, yeah, Dabini, Dabini came from Europe, but we're seeing some standout form already. Mm. I mean, Daly's had what, 29, 29 England caps in the last four years? 
but you can never have too many people from Yorkshire in an England squad. So yeah, no, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's uh, if I if I that's my rule. Yeah, so, more Northerners, please. Oh, while we're on women's football, can I have a quick shout uh, for my Horsburg agenda? So yes. the Star of York Gunners the Tier went to Leon. Two oh. years, two years at Leon. Well, I mean, have you seen who's going back to Man City? No, I haven't. Dude. I've not seen, I've not seen it. Lucy Bronze. Oh my God. She's going back to Manchester City. Oh my God. And Jeez. so is Alex Greenwood. That's a game change. That is a total, whoa, Arsenal. Because I mean, not being funny, Arsenal had a lot to deal with, with Chelsea being what they were this year. But Bronze to Man City, that shifts. That makes them actually marginal title favourites. Well, they've signed her and Alex Greenwood have signed um, contracts to stay at Leon until the end of the season, so they get to play in the Champions League, and then they'll join Manchester City ahead of the Women's Super League season. Dude, bronze. Um, obviously, Man- Lucy Bronze returning to Manchester City, which she left to go to Leon. Bronze to Man City is that actually that arguably makes them. Oh, yeah. I mean, arguably makes them title yeah. favourites. I mean, you margin. The only thing, the only reason I say it wouldn't. Chelsea's still slightly there only because Sam, the addition of Sam Kerr as, and we haven't seen a fully integrated Sam Kerr. I mean, that's not completely fair. Yeah, but I think the thing with Chelsea, Chelsea really benefited from not having European football this season. Okay, no, so, fair. Yeah, fair, fair. Um, or not having Champions League football this season. So I think that, fair. I think that it's going to be interesting to see because obviously it's Manchester City and Chelsea into the Champions League next season. So that is going to be, oh, well, Arsenal then. But honestly, like City, Arsenal, Chelsea as a three-way title race is going to be a beautiful contest. Wow. Okay. That, wow. That's big. That's big. People making moves in the Women's Super League, man. Wow. Big things. Let's go to the Premier League because... It was a weird Premier League week because it kind of felt there were a couple of important games, but ultimately, for example, Arsenal beating Norwich 4-0, you know, Arsenal being the bottom side 4-0 shouldn't really be newsworthy. No. But there were some good performances in there. I thought Aubameyang was really good. It was just it was just a, a nice positive performance from Arsenal. Two on the bounce now. Bit of rhythm. Suarez scoring on his debut. The big game was obviously, I think, well, Manchester United beating Brighton, who were Manchester United were absolutely brilliant, I thought and seem to be really clicking into a gear at the right time. He's doing a good job there. He's doing a very good job there, actually, Solskjaer, in the last um, couple of months. Got, well, yeah, last few that months. break. Yeah. I mean, we said, didn't we, that the break was quite good for Manchester United in the sense that there were bigger things at play, which meant a lot of the noise went away. Mm. And I think that really benefited them. Yeah, this is the thing, you know, like Mason Green was playing beautifully and... His goal was... Yeah. Really good. Yeah. And then he set up Fernandez's as well, which was another great strike. Fast feet. And that front line has speed and fluidity of movement. So you see Greenwood, Rashford and Martial, that is now dangerous. And you've got a midfield three, Pogba, Fernandez, and Matic. Matic not That works long. really well. But, but I think work. Matic has actually improved because we said that obviously they could have probably... Manchester United could have done with maybe or could do with an upgrade on McTominay. Mm. Now, I don't know whether something, someone like Thomas Partey would, would go to Manchester United or go to Arsenal. I think he'd probably, to be honest, at this moment in time, if he was going to pick between the two, you'd, be, you'd say he'd probably go to Manchester United. 
if you put a player like that in there, and this is, you know, I think Matic and McTominay are good footballers and you need them in a squad. Yeah. But I think for a club like Manchester United, they're the kind of players that you need as reliable squad players. Yeah. Not guaranteed starters every week. If they have serious ambitions of, you know, pushing on and challenging for titles, stick someone like Thomas Partey in there next to Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba and David yeah. Field is arguably one of the best in the Premier League. And the combination play like Pogba has like, and these, these games back has been so interesting because he hasn't really been like, you know, scoring in volume, but he's just been giving this fluidity and transition. Like he's playing with another brilliant player and you're seeing it now. Like, mm. and part of me thinks, because, you know, Ed Woodward's going to get, criti- gonna get uh, praise for this, but actually the form of Pogba and Fernandez now is, in my opinion, even better grounds for criticism of, of Woodward because it should not have taken this long to get Pogba this extra piece. It shouldn't have. It's just not, it's not that deep. It's mm. not that deep. If you put another brilliant, brilliant player alongside Pogba in a midfield three, this is what you get. Yeah. So yeah, but good, but good for United. Not to be negative, like great for United. This is great to see, but onto the match of the, the week in the Premier League, which was West, West Ham Chelsea. Chelsea. Oh my goodness. This was spice. Yeah. I mean, red alert. Eh? Whoa. I mean, <laughs> this, if I'd known, the only regret, you can never know what's going to happen prior to a game. My only regret is I didn't watch with a tub of ice cream or like a long, cool glass of like vanilla milkshake. Like I wish I just actually just sat there and just really, <laughs> you know, just taken it in. Um, this was, I mean, David Moyes out-dueling Frank Lampard and Lampard, I mean, Chelsea threw everything and this is going to be a problem for Chelsea actually. Chelsea threw everything at West Ham. They put together some beautiful attacking moves and they still lost. And this is maybe foreshadowing a problem they're going to have. Grace on football flagged this up. She said, if you look at like their forward line, their forwards, their wide forwards are brilliant, but they're high risk, high reward. Pulisic, um, Hudson-Odoi, Werner. They're not, they're hardworking players, but they turn the ball over. Ziyech, they turn the ball over. So you're going to have basically a team that tears forward, but leaves itself open. It's like having one of those duvets that doesn't cover the feet and the head at the same time. And that's, oh, that's, what, Chelsea, that's what Chelsea are. Does that make sense? They're kind of like a short duvet. And that could be a problem for them because watching how easily Yarmolenko isolated Rudiger and went around him. And I'm not about, it's not about bullying individual players. It's about the isolations that players find them in. I mean, Alonso there should have tracked him. That's 100% on Alonso there. And that's a team mentality issue, I think. And someone like, I think they, they need to address that. Exactly. It's yes. not blame. It's a structural issue. Yeah. Could Rudiger have done better? Yeah, absolutely. He could have done better and he probably should have kept him on his right because everyone knows that Yarmolenko is going to cut inside there. Right. However, when you're one-on-one with a player like that and you're in an in-game situation, it is very easy to forget where you should shepherd someone. But he shouldn't have He shouldn't have been in that position. Exactly. You know, Alonso, like, Alonso yeah. didn't track at all. And I think that that could potentially really cost Chelsea. Leicester lost to Everton, which really opened this up for Chelsea. If they'd won the game, they would have gone two points ahead of Leicester into third. Now, obviously, with Manchester City's potential Champions League ban, that's essentially a second place finish then. Now, they're only two points ahead of Manchester United and they're only two points ahead of Wolves. And United fixed their front six as well. They fixed it. Like that front six now is good. It's mm. not, just, not just good, it's very good on its day. There's fluidity. Mm. There's goals and they're peaking at the right time again, as you said. Like, um, so yeah, there's a bit of concern for Chelsea. We're really excited about what they can do going forward. 
but they lack the balance of, if you look at the kind of the Mourinho team that won the league with Fabregas and Matic anchoring that sort of at the base of that midfield, mm. they don't have that same, that same base. I'm not saying they can't get it. Of course they can get in a couple of purchases. We'll do that for them. They may just need to be careful. They haven't over-invested in the wrong areas. Yeah. Just have to shout out Alan Sir Maximan, who was basically the mastermind behind Newcastle's 4-1 victory away at Bournemouth. Three assists. And it was really lovely because he was on Twitter afterwards sharing all these messages of praise. And we forget sometimes that footballers are really responsive to what people are saying about them. And he is someone who's just more honest about it, I think. But he is someone who really has a great relationship with Steve Bruce. And, you know, there was, there was a great comment on Twitter. Someone said, um, when you arrived at Newcastle, a French journalist dismissed you as a kind of French Ravel Morrison which has all kind of coding behind it, which we can, yeah. we can unpack that. I mean, in the same week, the report came out about how black footballers are talked about compared to white footballers. <laughs> groundbreaking report. It's not groundbreaking. It was funny. Professor Ben Carrington talked about this. He said, um, talk to sociologists of sport. These reports have been around for 30 years. Lukaku with the urban finish. Yeah, we joke about this. The pace and power. The pace and power. Um, but, you know, Alan Maximan is someone who had been written off as a kind of mercurial, inconsistent talent who's been brilliant for Newcastle. And, you know, this game in particular, there was a, there was a moment in, I think the first half when Sir Maxim went up against three Bournemouth defenders and they didn't stand a chance. I was like, this is actually unfair. You know what it was mm. like? It was like those YouTube videos when, when a cat meets dogs for the first time <laughs> and the dogs are just like, the dogs are just like, <laughs> we have no, <laughs> this movement is so unpredictable. You know, like dogs, you know, dogs are like, okay, breakfast bowl, bowl of water, help with the shopping, lie in the sun. And the cat is like, oh, <laughs> you haven't met me before. It's like- You do your thing. It's like, it's like you've been listening to jazz your whole life and along comes bitches brew. Like it's just this whole- <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so Maxman just bamboozling them left, right, center. So yeah, shout out to him. I just thought, I wanted to give that particular performance some praise in the podcast because it's just old fashioned- outstanding wing play. And the great thing about him is he doesn't just do the complicated stuff. He moves the ball on at speed. Like he does the one touch stuff as well. One of the Premier League signings of the season. Beautiful Without a doubt, yeah. I think. And, has- and also a massive shout for Steve Bruce who's doing, when we, I mean, we said it earlier on in the season, quietly doing a really good job at Newcastle. He really is. Okay, so let's wrap this one. Yeah. Uh, because we need to now go and record our What If episode. Let's do it. Let's do it. Which will be up Friday. Double content. And we're playing out this week. We've got a big one to play out on. Vibes. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm going to wheel that. I'm going to wheel it. <laughs> I think that's our first ever reload on Stadio. It is so cool that you've got this. <laughs> I never thought I'd collaborate with the great. <laughs> All capitals, <laughs> so- no pick spelling. <laughs> uh, so yeah this one Dabri Doom track called Air off the 2-3 album one of the probably the most underrated hip hop records of all time um, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at Stadio Instagram Stadio Football our website is Stadio.Football make sure you check theringer.com forward slash soccer we'll be back tomorrow with a bonus episode our first what if one on The Ringer stay safe and you'll hear from us again tomorrow Will.
The beat is sicker than the blood in your stool The way it repeats could trick you like a stuttering fool Uttering butter king jewels His mother been cool Schooled on how to wash away the crud in the drool pool Made his chrome dome glisten At first he couldn't tell she had a chromosome missing Kept a spare somewhere in these underwear He swear it helped her get the gum out her hair They need to get their thumb out their rears And show some skills the one time they come out in years Instead of dumbing out in fears of their own shadow In a game that swell them up to dead them like cattle Take your rattle and skedaddle Before you get a whipping with the pen and pad paddle Ghouls got a modeling gear He came with more rhymes than molecules in air The track was like a thorn in his back As for the rhymes, I'll give y'all fair warning It's crack, whoever starts to smoke it, come back Quit or catch a heart attack up in some bum shack Sharper than a thumbtack His body was a temple made of chemicals to the dimple To him still it wasn't so simple Kept his right and left hand beefing One knocking teeth in, the other one chiefing But first, the song will make you wanna stomp your ten toes Souped up hoopty pinto off a pimp my whip Before they put the system in and had it all stripped There ain't no need to trip Indeed he ripped scripts from here to Jabit Get a grip, leave with a dag mess for beer Burning like a bag of swag sets in the air 